0: Tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to First Timothy chapter 5, that's where we'll be tonight. First Timothy 5. On the uh, spectrum of teachings being received, this is probably one of the lowest. I, I see that when I, I've been doing this long enough, that if this is everybody, and you teach about a hot topic in society, maybe, I'm not even going to name what it is, You get about that many people that'll buy into it, and the rest are not so sure about what you just said, because they've just never been taught. This chapter here gives us about this many people. So I'm preparing you ahead of time, not because I'm afraid to teach it, I'm not, it needs to be taught, and I'll talk about that in a minute. It's just that I want it to, teaching isn't getting the data out, teaching is helping people learn, and to understand, and to receive it. So that's the only reason I bring that up, is this is, a, um, this is a teaching that says, let me start off with a verse halfway through the chapter, verse 7. Paul says to Timothy, these things command. So that means every single church in America should be commanding these things on a regular basis. But oftentimes when you hit a subject like this, most people are like, I had no idea that was in the Bible. So that's why I'm warning you about this chapter. It's very practical, almost too much so for a Wednesday night. We're not going to talk about your feelings or how well you're doing and how to have a better heart like Jesus or anything like that. This is very practical ministry stuff. And within that, though, you can learn a lot about not only having a heart for Christ, but as was prayed by Aaron, which I thought was almost prophetic— We need to have a mind of Christ so that the heart of Christ can function properly. And what I mean by that is you have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. There's a time and there's a place. There's an understanding of this soft heart that Jesus gives us because we don't have that stony heart anymore. But he also gives us the mind of Christ that we know how to operate that heart in this world correctly. And that's what this chapter covers. So I gave you plenty of warning. I have to teach this. You have to believe this. You have to receive it. So what could possibly go wrong tonight, right? Verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Timothy, this young pastor is being told by the old seasoned Saint Paul to be careful And that you don't treat people differently in the sense of you're not a respecter of persons, but you do respect position. I think that's important to make a distinction there. He's not saying if a rich man walks in, do this for him. And if a poor man walks in, do this for him. He's saying age has some privileges and you treat people differently. Timothy, you're a young guy. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to father you and mother you. And you need to be careful and treat them with respect and listen and And talk to them as if they're fathers and mothers, because they're older. When it comes to your equals, same age, brothers or younger, sisters, same age or younger, do that with all purity. Be very careful how you talk to them as well. Because he's going to talk about and make a difference between rebuking and exhorting. And there's a difference. Um, Tonight may sound like a rebuke to you, but it isn't. I'm just teaching the Bible. The reason sometimes God's word sounds like a direct rebuke, as if someone just yelled in your ear, is because it hits home oftentimes. And that's when people leave the church. What happened? You told me I was, I don't think I said your name at all. But if the shoe fit, you know, it's not a rebuke. This whole chapter, this whole letter to Timothy is an exhortation, and encouragement for Timothy to do what is necessary, reasonable, and responsible for a man of God who's in his position. You need to do these things. So it's an exhortation. So he tells him, don't rebuke an older man. Treat him like a father. In other words, the word rebuke is actually a term meaning to strike at. You know, Very few people have ever really been rebuked, like the Bible talks about a rebuking. Okay, um, Maybe they've been... Uh, Exhorted or strongly encouraged, or whatever, and it felt like that, and defenses went up and hurt feelings were happening because they've never been spoken to like that before. Can't do anything about that. No one's ever told me no, you know, kind of thing. A rebuke is different. A rebuke is almost a finger pointing moment. You, you know, stop it now, you know, kind of thing. Whoa, you know. Very few people have had that. For the most part, we've all had exhortation. So Paul says to Timothy, although rebukes are necessary, don't do it to the older guys. Exhort them. And here's why. You try to rebuke an older man as a younger man, it's not going to be received. It just isn't. There's pride. There's humility that may not be... They can't accept it from a younger person. They can't... I'm, I'm older. I know more. There's a lot of that. I... I was talking with Jenny just, I think it was just yesterday morning or last night or sometime about our high school teachers. And as I go back over my high school teachers, and we were talking about how the coaches were all just obligated to pick up a course and teach something. It was usually social studies or something like that. Something pretty simple that was just, and they didn't even teach the course. They kind of just talked about football or whatever because that's what they're interested in. And we did some tests and you basically got, and that would frustrate her because she wanted to do well and wanted to study. And of course the coach just, well, first of all, didn't know. But as a younger person, you didn't dare say anything because you understand they're the older person, but in actuality, you probably did know more than that coach. So what do you do? Timothy, exhort them. Strongly encourage. Make what you have to say about their lifestyle, their mannerisms that are unbiblical. They need to be sin, not just character differences, not just personality differences. There's, there's There's a... a distinction there. But when you need to talk to an older person about a lifestyle or a sin that they're engaged in, do it in an exhortive way that you can encourage them to receive it from you, first of all. It's just wisdom, Timothy. If you're going to be a good teacher, you got to do that in just the right way. Be careful. Same with older women. you got to treat them like your mom. They're not your mom, but they're older. And they feel like your mom, and so you got to talk to them like that. Be very careful about that. You may have to gently say something, you know, in a way that they can receive it, and it doesn't look like you know you're directly pointing a finger at them, you know. But as the leader, you have to do it. And you can't let it go. So one of the if you're going to do that and you need to do that, do it in an exhortive way. Is the idea very important? So be careful. When it comes to these younger sisters, Timothy, you're, young, you're a young guy, be careful. Treat them like sisters. I've always told, well, and I don't know if this is very practical at all, you know, uh, but I try to encourage the guys, hey, until you're married, they're your sister. That's that's the kind of physical relationship you have with your future bride or your future husband before you get married, until you're married, they're your brother or your sister, but well, that puts it in a little different light, doesn't it? That—that's <laughs> how you carry yourself. But Timothy needs to make sure that when he's speaking to these sisters, that he does it with, the, especially the younger women, with all purity. No, don't be flirting, Tim. You know, don't be making you know you know. Hey, I think we should we should we should go out for some coffee and talk about this deep spiritual thing. You know, kind of thing. Well. It can be done here. You don't have to do that. You want to do that, that's a whole other thing. Just call it what it is. But don't don't do your pastoring as dating, you know, kind of thing. So be careful about that. Purity. You need purity, Timothy. So that's our first start. Not too bad. Most of us are like, okay, I can handle that. We get these things from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. It's one of the commandments. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. There's some wisdom there they've got a lot to offer you and so be sure you're listening to them and it, and even if they're not walking with the Lord or in obedience like you are as a younger person, there is still some value there and don't it, it would not be of benefit to you um, to not honor them. so honor your father and mother now that doesn't mean that you dishonor God by honoring your father and mother if they're asking you to do something you shouldn't do it's a counter to scripture you absolutely don't do that you know you follow God. Later on, Leviticus 19.32 says, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God, I am the Lord. I want to see that, God says. When I see you guys all moving around as a society, as people, I want you to honor those who are older than you. As a general rule, honor those that are older than you. Don't look down on them. We have a a new phrase that goes around, I don't, I, you know, that we're using, and it's, it's getting worse and worse, but thats we're living in a more ungodly society every day. But it's one thing to recognize that there's a certain older group who's in a certain age bracket that would be called a boomer, baby boomers, right? And there's another thing to use that term in a derogatory way, you're just a boomer. You see the difference. That was the same spirit that rose up during the Jesus movement before in the hippie movement. Never trust anybody over 30. It did us great harm by listening to that whisper from Satan for all the young people to not honor their father and mother or respect them. What Satan wants to do when he says things like that is to cut off wisdom from the ears of the young so that the ears of the young only hear his voice and not those who have done battle with him before as they've grown up. We always want people to learn things the easy way. As parents, we want our kids to learn from our mistakes, we say. Well, that's part of it. We want to share the battles that we've had, that we've lost, that we've won so that they can fight in such a way that they win every one of those battles so they don't have to go through those things or avoid the battle altogether. But if Satan can get us to distance ourselves, take our peer groups as far more valuable information than our elders, it cuts off a lot of wisdom from us, from our young people. So God says, I want you to do that. As a general rule, honor those. Proverbs 16.31, I think, sums them both up in a really good way because we don't just do it because they have gray hair. Here's what he says. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. So there's our, there's our out, our loophole maybe. You still honor. You still respect. You still don't need to be pointing the finger or jabbing your finger in some older person's chest about the way they're living their life. And you do want to treat them with respect, but you also need to Listen carefully with the ears of of the Lord. You know, of the wisdom that they're giving you. Are they found in the way of righteousness? Are are they as wicked as the most wicked person I've ever met? Then I'm I'm not going to take your advice because they don't you don't even walk with the Lord. You know. So there's our, our summation there. The difference between rebuke and exhortation, I believe, is the difference between cop and coach. Is the idea. There are times with my kids that I had to be the cop, you know. You know, I tried to coach you to not go in the middle of the street. I tried to show you. You know, we stood there holding hands, watching the cars go zipping by, and then we'd throw out, you know, a walnut or something, and watch the car smash it. And I look at him and say, "That's you, you know. If you don't listen, oh, I get it. You know, I see the destruction. I learned." There's another thing to see the ball roll into the street and the kid disregard everything, completely oblivious to the advice you gave him because they're focused and they're running for the street. That's when the cop comes out, freeze, you know, stand still, first time obedience, stop. And it sounds harsh and it scares the kid and oftentimes the kid cries and runs to the other parent and says, daddy yelled at me. Well, he's about to die from the garbage truck, you know, kind of thing. It was either him or... Or, or it, you know. So when it comes to the house of the Lord, when it comes to brothers and sisters in the Lord, that's how we treat each other, very carefully. Still the truth in love. Sometimes there's a need for a cop. Most of the time there's a need for a coach. We want to exhort, if at all possible, just exhort. Verse 3, honor widows who are really Widows. So the qualification for a widow that needs to be honored by the church is not just the death of a husband. That doesn't qualify you as a widow. Have You ever heard that taught in church? We don't. The church has become a place where it's the social safety net. And it was never intended by God to be the social safety net. If it was, it was in very rare situations and he's gonna get very rare on us here. And this is where that practical thing needs to we need to absorb this and maybe chew on it and maybe you need to ask the Lord to show you these things. Because there are different applications for a personal walk with Jesus versus the body of Christ functioning as a church. Personally I'm to be generous. Personally I'm to be led by the Spirit. I'm supposed to help those in need. I'm supposed to do this, that, or the other thing. When I'm able, but the church is not called to do for everybody everything. It's not, but we think it is. And so that's why we think it is, is because this chapter right here isn't usually taught in churches. but it needs to be. We need to get straightened out on these things because it's loving, and I'll tell you why. Because in the process of trying to take care of everybody, there's only so much money. There's none left to take care of those who are really needy. those who really need the help i'd love to help you but we gave it all away this month's is gone okay thank you and now that person has to walk away because you took care of people that weren't supposed to be taken care of they weren't they were never intended to be taken care of by the church this is what i mean by yeah but i want to be a loving christian of course I'm not telling you not to be, neither is God's word, neither is Paul telling Timothy not to be loving. He's saying you need to teach this to the church there in Ephesus because they don't know. And things are going wrong and they're going south. And I think if we could get this down and understand that there's a little bit of no in the church, that we'd be able to stand up a lot stronger against the things we're caving into today. We've gotten so used to saying yes, and it's not loving if we don't, and they'll think bad of me if I, if I, if I quit, that all of a sudden we just say yes to everything and everybody, and all of a sudden, what, what are we here for? If they're really widows, take care of those widows, honor them. But, this is where he lays it out, if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. Is there a widow with children? Grandchildren? They're the ones that are supposed to take care of them. They're the ones that are supposed to provide for those widows. The grandchildren and the children can't say, just go, go call the church. I had two calls this week already. We get calls all the time. We, From the day we opened doors, 22 years ago, I think, we've had calls. And at first, I'm like, I didn't know. Sure, here's 100 bucks. Oh, you need me to meet you at the hotel and give it to you? Sure, I'll go over there. Boy, what, what you been into in this room? I don't know. Here's your hundred bucks. I don't even want to know what you're doing in here. You know, you run into stories like you wouldn't believe. You know, Hey, can you get me a hotel room? Absolutely, you bet. I'll come and get, pick you up. Can you take me to the casino hotel? Boy, no. And that's when you start getting wise. Why do you want to go there? Well, um, um, uh, free buffet. Then I can eat for free too. That's not why you want to go to the casino hotel. You start figuring things out pretty quick. Hi, is this the pastor? Yeah. Catholic charities told me to call around because they ran out of money for the month, and they thought that maybe if I called enough churches that you could you could all get together and pay my rent. Who are you? Where's your home church? Who's your pastor? Can you name me your favorite Bible verse? or you just need money, you know? See, I get to be that guy, and I am that guy. I'm the guy that says no, because I got people at our church that need help. And they're not able-bodied, and they're not able to do for themselves, and they aren't a tough spot. It's very rare, but we make sure that there's money for them if they need it. And most of the time, they don't want to take it. They never ask. You got to pry it out of them. You need any help? No, I'm fine. You need any help. I'm fine. Are you sure? because it looks like I could use this? Sure, absolutely. You know. Let's just keep it between, well, just you and the Lord, you know. Very important. If you've got children or grandchildren, that widow should be taken care of by the family. Throughout this entire chapter, the family is responsible for the family. Let them learn, and this is what Paul's trying to share with Timothy because it is from love. How are they going to learn piety if they're not given the opportunity to show piety? How are they going to learn generosity if they're not given the opportunity? The church is not called to alleviate people of conviction. That Holy Spirit conviction that's resting upon people is supposed to be there. It's meant to stretch them and teach them and move them in the right direction for their own well-being. He's going to talk about widows that are too young and shouldn't be doing these things, what it's going to turn them into. You're not loving them by doing this for them. You think you are. The world thinks you are. You're harming them. You're crippling them. Now, not only is... Are they supposed to learn to show and to repay their parents for this is good and acceptable for God? Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. There's more. Not only does your husband have to be dead, not only do you not have any grandchildren or children that can take care of you, you truly are alone in this world. You also need to be a prayer warrior and known for it. You're also supposed to be uh, doing these things at home, not watching Dr. Phil, waiting for meals on wheels and waiting for your check from the church. If you still have cable, you don't need any help. Sorry. I'm telling you, our level in our country of poverty is not poverty. It sounds like a rebuke. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. (laughs) She's living in pleasure. She's living for pleasure. She's dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. Blameless. There's a reason we command these things. There's a reason we teach these things in the church. There's a reason everybody in this room needs to get this in our hearts and in our minds and understand these things. There's fruit from this, there's spiritual, eternal fruit from these things. We say that all the time. We understand this in almost every aspect. Uh, Maybe I got sick so that I can minister to the nurse. Maybe I got sick so that the doctors could hear the gospel. We say that you guys are great about saying those things about your illnesses. I don't know. Maybe the the hardship that I went through is for me to be able to minister to somebody later on. You're absolutely right. So is a widow who has children and grandchildren who have not learned to think beyond themselves. And to see others more important than themselves. And to make sure that, honey, we don't need cable. We don't need internet if mom's not eating. That's ridiculous. We need to give her. I'm getting another job. It's more honoring. You know what you'll teach? your. Well, then you won't have time with your kids. No, you're going to teach your kids that it's important to meet your responsibilities. You're going to teach them to work hard to make sure that others are taken care of. You can't ask for a better lesson to teach your kids that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that sounds like a rebuke to me. I don't know. I just can't seem to hold a job. Well, get one. Well, it's just not paying me enough. Then get two. That's what you do. You take care of your family. It's your responsibility It's not another man's responsibility to take care of your family. They've got enough problems. Now, if you can't, if you're not able-bodied, if there is some debilitating situation in your life, of course. But you see how rare it becomes now, all of a sudden. And how easily the need can be met now. Because instead of 20 or 30 people with their hands out, you've got two. We can do that. You know, our country was founded in a funny way. I mean, I don't know if many people have read about the Puritans or understand how they first started. They started off with socialism, kind of a communism mentality. We were a communist country when the Puritans landed. We're all going to just pool our resources, put everything together, and divide it up evenly. Hallelujah, amen. And then about half stopped working. My elbow, you know. And all of a sudden, there's half of them doing all this work and not able. To, and then they change the rules. From now on, everybody gets their own piece of land, and whatever you grow on that, that's yours. Well, all of a sudden, everybody's elbows start feeling better. Because I've got to work if I'm going to eat. It's interesting. We try that. We try the heart without the brain. It doesn't work. You've got to have the heart of Christ, but you have to have the mind of Christ too. And Jesus was never a communist, ever. He never advocated for confiscation. Always for generosity, always for a a, a willingness and a heart for, but it was always your choice. Because you learn then, and the other person learns. If he does everything for everybody, nobody learns anything. That's the idea. Paul says, you tell them if they're not taking care of their house, they're worse than an unbeliever. Now he's talking to brothers and sisters in the Lord. Brother, if you're a believer, you should be providing for your family. And if you're not, you're worse than an unbeliever. Stop calling yourself a Christian. It's like the number one thing you've got to do as a man. I'm a Christian. Are you providing for your family? Well, I'm going to start tomorrow. That's a good answer, you know. (laughs) Do not let a widow under 60... He's taking an entire chapter to talk about this. You'd think it'd be a blip. It's not. Do not let a widow under 60 years old... So now I've got an age requirement to be taken into the number and not unless she has been the wife of one man. So i got an age requirement. She's only married once. And now, now, if her other husband died and she got married again, that's fine. But not like multiple men, like I'm jumping from guy to guy to guy to guy. No, 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 no. One man, well-reported for good works, and here's what they are. If she has brought up children, not just her own, it could be others. I don't have any children. Have you raised others? Have you helped, you know, taken in? Have you been known for that? Back then they'd have foster care. They just saw some kid on the street that didn't have a mom. You come home with me, honey. I'll get you some food. Is she known for that, you know? If she has lodged strangers, she saw the weary travelers, she sees the needs of others, she's been to there's a reputation here. Has she washed the saints' feet like Jesus? If she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, he's that's getting narrow now, isn't it? There are moments he's going to qualify a little bit of this at the end for us. Give us a little relief from this narrow resume that a widow needs to have. But he is trying to change an entire people group to think differently. And I think we need to have that first. Let's get this rigidity down in our hearts first. We can loosen up from there. How's that? but let's get this down first and then we can be led by the spirit in this situation or that situation. Let's be guided by his word and then led by the spirit per circumstance, but refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Now, this is, gets a little tricky to, to, to discern what he means by this. So I'm going to give you a couple options I don't know because it seems strange. Well, what do you mean? You bring in a younger widow. She's going to decide to walk away from Jesus or something. Is that what you're saying? Walk away from the faith? Well, she's 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 not. I don't want to be a widow forever, she decides. I want to find a man. And all of a sudden, she starts acting like she wants to find a man. And if you don't know that, women act a little different when they're trying to find a man versus when. They have one, okay. So do guys. We all act a little different in the courting phase than we do the marriage phase. It's just how it is. So she's a widow and she's young and she's she's just enjoying, you know, the church bringing her stuff and her living like that. All of a sudden, she says, I need a man, and she starts acting like that. He says, you know what? Let her find let her find her man. Let's let's encourage her to go find someone to provide for her. We need to do that. We don't want to be the surrogate husband in her life. She needs to go find somebody. There's plenty of guys out there, you know. And the last thing you want is some young, available widow to say, I don't need no man. Yes, you kind of do. For the sake of everybody. Because although you say you need no man, there's 27 men in the fellowship that are providing for your needs. Because you don't have one, you see. I know. Fun chapter. Are you hearing anything new, though? Is this important? Isn't that why we come? I want to know. What is the will of God? What does it look like to be a believer? What does it look? What's the church supposed to look like? We've got an idea. We've grown up in a church, but I I could almost I bet we could count on one hand how many people in this church other than the people that have heard this before from this church, have heard this chapter from another fellowship, ever. And so we go off assumptions. We go off what we're supposed to do. We, we, we misunderstand, and Paul says, no, you've got to teach this, Timothy. Refuse the younger widows for their sake. They'll see, be so much more fulfilled in that desire of their heart for a husband. Now, if they don't have a desire, we're not talking about that. We're talking about women that have a desire for a husband, but are afraid or whatever. Go, find that man. Let God bring you your Adam, you know? Be that Eve that God brings to an Adam someplace else, you know? You're not just saying no to yourself, you're saying no to whoever God had intended for you, also. There's something a mysterious taking place. I think about how my kids got married, four of them now so far, and how they met their spouse. You know, what are the odds, Alan? You guys just came down to church here all of a sudden, and JC's singing, and there's Andrea, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And Andrea's going, you know, I'm kidding. She probably never did that. And then I think about, I think about Seth going off to Bible college. And he wasn't really sure what to do next, so he went to Bible college. And all of a sudden, this little, this this beautiful, tall blonde from uh, Utah decides to go to Bible college too because she doesn't know, and it doesn't even take them half a semester before they found each other. And that was it, you know. And then because of that interaction. I found uh, we're out to eat down in, down in Kansas City, and and Haley's brother from Utah comes out. He's a hockey player, and he's, he's, down in, he's on some hockey team right there, and he's sitting in little vantage lines over there going, you know. <laughs> he's the big boy, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I love it. God bringing all these people together, and then, and then Anna, you know. My goodness, I remember when we went to the first youth retreat, I have video of Dylan, um, we, we were making everybody do a commercial for this youth retreat we we're going on. And Dylan was just like, he was just, I'm not having this. I'm not a fool. I don't want to be a fool, you know? And he's sitting there, you know, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do from this pastor guy. And it's this little guy going, okay, you know, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, but I don't want to do it kind of thing. And, and then all of a sudden there they are, you know, the cutest little couple. So sweet. All I'm saying is that, Those interactions where I I think I'm making my own choice, but God's actually making a divine appointment someplace over here or moving over there. What happens if if Seth says, I think I'm just going to go do this instead and not see what God has for me there, you know? That's all I'm getting at. Refuse the younger widows. And it's for their sake. It's for their sake. And besides, they learn to be idle they learn to sit. There's no drive. That, you know, in, um, necessity is the mother of invention, invention. but this is not exactly that. But you get the idea. Your your need is the. You decide. I got to go get some food. You know. I got to go do something about this. It's not going to just show up. But otherwise, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which ought not. And you don't have a goal you don't have a purpose, you don't have something that God's placed in your, in your life to do. you know all of a sudden you become do, you know idle hands are the devil's playground, they say it's not in scripture, but we can almost see that here. Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. You're protecting the reputation by doing this, Timothy, you're not being mean. you're not being unloving. You're actually doing the hard thing, the loving thing, by doing this. Now, um, I skipped a bunch of cross-references. That's okay. Let's move on. No, I've got to do this. It, it, <laughs> here's the cross-reference, and it's been coming up a lot, and in many more ways than one. Um, they're going to walk around and be gossips. They're going to say things they ought not say. And I, and I was thinking about that. There's a certain spirit, I think. I'll call it that—a spirit of, uh, of of Satan, I think, one of his henchmen—that that seems to, well, that we're listening to as a—not necessarily our body, but the body of Christ worldwide—is listening to more and more, and this is this is where. It, I hear then it's revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That's really stuck with me. It's been coming up in several places. The accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren. There's only one accuser of the brethren, and that's Satan. And when I hear other Christians accusing other Christians, it's that same spirit. Like, we don't have anything better to do in this world. Like, there's a, like, most of the world is saved and doesn't need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have enough time on our hands to be accusing each other all the time. You know, that, That's such a distraction. That's such a waste of time to be that accuser of the other brethren, of that brethren, of this brethren. You know what? There's, a, there's 12 lost people all around you at any given moment. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Fill your mouth with those words. You know, I have a hard time with the Babylon Bee. I just have a hard time with them. I know that everybody loves them, but that's all they do is mock. I got enough mockers in my life from Satan. I've got enough. We don't need to be mocking each other. It gets old for me. I fight that all the time. People mocking Christianity, unbelievers mocking. And mock- and then to find a whole group of believers that just thinks I'm going to make a platform out of mocking other believers. Thanks. That's what we needed in the body of Christ. Someone to jab and poke us. You know, I get tired of it. Soapbox. I'll step off now. Verse 17. Let the elders who rule well He counted worthy of double honor. We've talked about the honor we're supposed to show widows. Let's talk about the double honor. Elders. Especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. They teach. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And the labor is worthy of his wages. And that's a quote from Luke 10. Um, Verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Don't even receive the accusation unless you've got two or three people that were eyewitnesses to the sin, and it needs to be sin. The accusation needs to be about sin, not personality conflicts, not, we really got to get this down. The first time I had this happen, probably in the second year of this ministry, not an accusation of sin at all, just an accusation. I was so shocked by it, and I was like, "Oh God, what did I do to make them think that, or what did I say to make them feel that way, or believe that about myself, or what?" And why didn't they come talk to me? I was so worked up about it, you know. I spent, you know, you can't, so you can't sleep. It just gives you a stomach ache as you think about these things, you know. Oh, and then that passed, and then it hits again. Another story or another thing comes. I don't know about it. the first time. We first time was. I think we were we were at uh, Hibbet Sports, where that place is now. We had that place as a rental, and uh, you know everybody. You know this is what this is the word that came to me. You know everybody thinks you're a cult, right? Why do you think we're a cult? I mean, what did we do to make you think we're a cult? You know, your chairs were in a circle on Wednesday night. And that bothered me. I laughed. Oh, God, who would ever think? No, it was such a big deal that many, many people were saying that about our church. We were a cult. We were little. We had like 12 or 15 people. We didn't sit like this. How weird would that be? We just put a little circle and talked to each other because we're in a little group, you know? No pentagram with <laughs> candles and, uh, you know, no. <laughs> nothing like that. You're a cult because you set your chairs up in a circle and they walk by. Yuck, what a waste of time. Don't receive the accusation. You know why? Because if you're going to get up and teach chapters like this and everything else the Bible has to teach about things, and it sounds like a rebuke to a lot of people, and they feel like you put your finger on their chest even though you didn't, defenses go up. People begin to lash out. They begin to react because when you teach the truth and people don't like hearing the truth, and in the last days people are going to grab teachers because they have itching ears to tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. You're going to get accusation after accusation after accusation because they want you to shut up about the truth. Now, if you have two or three witnesses, absolutely. And it also needs to be sin. Not that your chairs are in a circle. Nothing's wrong with that. It needs to be sin. And then he says, those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Absolutely. You know, nobody's above reproach. Nobody gets a a, a hall pass on this. You know, you're absolutely accountable, but there needs to be two or three witnesses. Otherwise, it's going to be every Tom, Dick and Harry making an accusation because they didn't like what they heard. And I want you to be Quiet. So he does that. Be careful, Timothy. Don't receive an accusation because you're going to step on toes. You're going to say things people don't want to hear. Be careful. Proverbs 18, 17, and I got it in four different versions. He who states his case first seems right until his rival comes and cross-examines him. The first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. Similar, but not exactly the same. The first person to testify seems innocent until the other comes and cross-examines him. And the fourth one, you may think you have won your case in court until your opponent speaks. Kind of flips it around there. Guys, get the other side of the story. Always. Always. We live in a world now where the accusation is enough for conviction without a trial. It's a very dangerous thing. Now, a lot of times it is true. And here's what happens instead of going to the court case, instead of going through the trial, instead of going through the fact finding mission, we jump to a conclusion and we say, I know what the, I know that person's guilty, and then we wait. And if it does end up being guilty, ah, I knew it. He didn't, though. You had a 50 50 shot, you just guessed that. It's like the baby thing, you know. I think it's a boy. You'd have no idea it's a boy, it's a boy, I knew it. You didn't though, you know. You've got to go through everything the Bible tells us to. I've got a story going around right now that I'm not gonna make public yet. But I have three Calvary pastors who have yet to come seek my side of the story on it. It's frustrating me. And I'm like, really? Okay. Now, here's why I say, Oh, really? I don't think about it as much. I use these things. At first, chairs in a circle, I get so, so upset about it. Now, a couple decades later, that's a bellwether for me, or that is an indicator for me about the person. I use that. Mm. It tells me a lot about your ministry that you know and you teach what's supposed to take place next and you don't do it, you've already jumped to conclusions and you haven't come and sought me and asked me about that. You've already made a determination and you've never sought the truth or sought my side of things. That's why I quoted that. So now I use it as a bellwether. That tells me, that, oh my goodness, those three, that's a, that's, a, that's a big chunk of people. All those fellowships, Under someone who doesn't know, they're supposed to go talk to the other person first before they render judgment. Mm, That's dangerous. Verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, do nothing with partiality. Timothy, you don't get a pass on this. I don't care who they are. You you do this chapter 5. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. What does he mean by that? Well, when you're going to send somebody out, when you're going to anoint somebody, you feel like God wants you to you know, do something by laying on of hands, be careful before you do that. Have you prayed about it? Have you sought the Lord? Have the qualifications been met? Be careful. Don't lay hands on anybody suddenly. Otherwise, you're going to share in their sin. Keep yourself pure. Be careful, Paul, or Timothy. Now, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. They would mix wine and water so that the alcohol and the wine would kill all those little amoebas in there. You know, That's okay. You know, Timothy's like, I don't want anybody to think that I was a drunk. I don't want anybody to think that I'm a drinker. So I'm just having water. Okay, but... That's why you're sick all the time, Timothy. We, we, we don't have pure water around here. You need to mix a little wine with it like everybody else does. Not to be a lot. You know. Just put a little in there to kill it. Go ahead and do that for your own infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, Paul says, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Some people walk around and you can tell right away. Other people, they're very good at concealing their sin. And likewise, their good works. Some people, you can't help but see it. It's obvious. And situations dictate different ways of discretion or different, different levels of discretion. Sometimes you can't be discreet about your good work. That's okay. You don't want to be so paralyzed by not letting anybody know what you're doing that you don't do the good work. Just do it. If they find out, oh, well, move on. And that's all he's saying. Do these things. Watch these things. You know, Timothy. You don't know who you're laying hands on. You, you don't know what's behind the door. There's a reason God says no. There's a reason that you you need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit in these things. And so that's my that's the cap, That's the catch. That's our loophole. Um, and and I, and I kind of went over it really quick. Um, let me find the actual text so you can figure out. Well, wait a minute. Does that mean I? I don't have any room to help any old lady that needs help in my neighborhood? Of course not. Of course you help her. Of course. Mow her lawn, shovel her walk. God doesn't prohibit us from helping each other out and doing things for one another. He's talking specifically about, about provision, you know. Um, this has been a problem from the beginning. Remember, that's how we came up with deacons. The apostles are all teaching, and all some, and somebody says, "We got a problem. The daily distribution of food is not going to all the widows, but only half the widows." Already, we got a problem. Well, I don't know. I don't want to stop teaching the Bible to make sure everybody's getting their food. Gets pick seven men full of the Holy Spirit, that full of good works, and they can go do that for us, so we can continue in the Word of God and not worry about the distribution of food. This is a continuation of that thought, you know. Even then, the world knew that the church could be a meal ticket for them. They knew it. And they began to gather, and they began to draw near, and they began to see and try and see if I could sneak in to get, you know, maybe this would be good, you know. Paul says, no, 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 no. Be careful about that. You can't do that. I can't work that way, God says. I need to work in everybody's hearts. A lot of things are going on. In a lot of different ways. God moves like chess. He's got a lot of things moving. It isn't about me helping you. It's about all of it. You know? And that's where we close tonight. I told you. Important though. In chapter 6 is masters, which is, means your bosses and your employers and all these things. So that'll get interesting. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Very practical Chapter. For some of us, it was the first time we heard it. For others, we've known it. Um, your word does kind of give us, though, here, um, as a believer who doesn't have any, un- who has only unbelieving children, there is an opportunity for us to still help those widows that don't have children that are walking with you, that have ignored you, that have left you alone, that have left these women alone. And... Uh, Lord, we we see those women. We understand who they are. We know that we can help them and that we're not bound by some sort of law here in chapter five. Help us to have that discernment, God. There's discernment in ministry that needs to be used. And I pray that we would have that, that we would know when to say yes and when to say no and when you're trying to do something in someone else's life and when we're becoming the enabler in their life, not letting you do what you need to do. We want to be led by your Spirit. So, God, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit, full of love, full of who you are, full of the Holy Spirit, but also wise with the mind of Christ and being able to minister and help and serve when and where you want us to and and to whom and at what what point and how much and all these things. They're, They're questions we have. And we can only get that from you and each give us. So we, we want to walk in the Spirit and always be attentive to your leading to help, to hold off, to give advice, to give counsel, to exhort, whatever. We want to do your will. And so, God, I pray that you help us as a body have that, to be strong in this, to not be legalistic about it, to not be mean but to be loving, beautiful people, helping other people become loving, beautiful people. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us in this as a fellowship and as us individually. In Jesus' name, amen.